Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me in this very special episode is none other than the one and only sandwich himself, Adam. Adam, welcome back from the Western Front. How's it been? My God, nothing's changed here. It's quite incredible. I've been away for nearly a calendar year. Feels longer than that. But you know, I was enjoying a quiet life, just living out in the woods, milking oddishes, just ready to hang my microphone up. But then as much as I tried to fight it, it pulled me back in again. Satsunami, you picked the one topic that you knew I couldn't resist. Adam, you said you'd be home by Christmas. What the hell, man? (laughs) There's a lot of oddishes, man. Let me tell you. I said I was going to milk them all, damn it. (laughs) Did I actually tell you that I was talking to my girlfriend and she was like, I want to listen to more episodes of your podcast. Say no more, my dear. Living in the Pokemon world, let's go. (laughs) And the thing was, I was driving as well, so she couldn't turn that off. Nothing like a captive audience, eh? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) But other than that horrifying thought, how have you been? I've not been too bad, thank you very much. This has been a lovely spell of nostalgia for me, as I got to travel back to the halcyon days of my early life, remembering a particular fond game I used to love. And that game, of course, is none other than the one and only COD, or Call of Duty, or that game that rivals FIFA in terms of iterations. But yeah, today we are going all the way back to 2003, because, and I can't believe I'm saying this, at the time of this episode coming out, it will be... 20 years since this franchise reared its head into the gaming landscape and really solidified its name, didn't it? Well, little boy's all growing up now, isn't he? You're completely right. It's actually crazy that it's been 20 years. Not the fact that it's just been 20 years. The fact that there's literally been a game every single one of those 20 years, non-stop, since 2003. It's a run for the ages, if you ask me. I mean, there's nearly as many code games as there are James Bond films, if not more. I think that's a very telling thing. There can only be a couple more James Bond films. There can't be that many more than COD games. And do you know what? If you probably count the spin-offs, they probably <laughs> might actually start to rival it. So what you're saying is, for the next COD game, you want Idris Elba to start on it. I want Idris Elba. Who are the other people who were touted to be James Bond years ago? Henry Cavill. Insert other famous people who who are hot, right? Timothy Chalamet, Kylie Jenner, I don't know. Ray Winston, you know, all the classics. Well, that is a blast from the past, my God. 20 years ago, Ray Winston would have been a big thing. Was that not the King Arthur film? Remember the King Arthur film? <laughs> I remember echoes and shadows of it in my mind. God, we need to watch the King Arthur film. That's next thing. Book that episode in. That must be nearly 20 years old. <laughs> I mean, speaking of which, Jason Statham, he was in this as well, was he not? God, he was as well. I was going to say a young Jason Statham. I bet if you went and looked at pictures of Jason Statham from 2003, he probably looks the exact same as now. He just has a very grizzled look to his face. He definitely does. I mean, he's coming out with a new film, funny enough. I think it probably will be getting advertised as of this episode, and I think it'll probably be out in the next couple of months, where he plays a beekeeper taking on a fishing company. And I don't mean like literally fishing for fish. I mean, digital fishing scammers and things i don't know it looks like a lot of fun is that the plot of the expendables 4 quite possibly yeah <laughs> that's generally the film i thought you were talking about that's the only film i know with jason statham coming out no i literally saw the trailer today <laughs> and i was like ah that's jason statham there's a beekeeper shooting office workers i'm like oh okay 
So fair enough. Of course, he's got a gun. Who plays the bees? Is it Sylvester Stallone? No, it's Nick Cage. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, the bees. Anyway, sorry. Speaking of bees, C's, Call of Duty. See what I did there? Oh. I liked it. I liked it. But yeah, before we go on and talk about really the good, the bad, and the downright confusing of this game, and in particular how it's held up today, because this is something quite interesting you and I were talking about before we came on. The fact that there weren't really many people talking about the significance of it, it feels as if it's just one of these games that's been taken for granted. You know, at the time it was like really prolific, it was revolutionary, but now people are just like, oh yeah, it was the first COD, so what? I think people are legitimately, well, you can argue fairly or unfairly, people are sick of this series. It's not a fresh, new, exciting series by any stretch, but I don't think there's a general desire to look back. You know, it's not like Sonic or Mario or Zelda or something where look back to these kind of early games and maybe the series has changed quite drastically in the time. I'm sure we'll discuss this about how different we think COD Numero Uno was to everything that's come afterwards, but I just think people are just generally sick, to be honest. I mean, for the younger people listening to this episode, think back to a time where there wasn't a battle pass, there wasn't really much online play. I mean, I think technically there is online play for the first game, but I don't know if that came retroactively. No, it came at the time. Did it come at the time? Yeah, it was very popular. No, because I was quite surprised when I was looking at it and they said it had multiplayer and I wasn't sure whether it was one of these LAN or local or it was actually widespread. It's also a very, I don't know if you watch much of the US Office. Have you seen any of it? You? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Have you seen the episode with COD in it? No, I haven't. It's actually. in like season three or something. It's quite funny. One of the offices is like every afternoon they're like shutting up shop to close the blinds and get seriously into it. And it's just one of the great lines like, you don't take a sniper rifle to Carentan. But yeah, going back to what I was saying, think of a time where multiplayer was very limited. You didn't have Soviets with cat ears storming Stalingrad. You didn't have, I don't know, Snoop Dogg or Nicki Minaj. I know they weren't popular at the time. I suppose, I don't know, what the Spice Girls storm in Omaha Beach. I think you've gone too far back there, I think. Really? Oh, think who was popular in 2003? <laughs> this must have been like Sugar Babes territory or something. Wait, were the Sugar Babes 2003? They must have been. Whatever version of the Sugar Babes was at the time, they must have been. What about Backstreet Boys? Maybe I'm being very specifically like UK here. I'm thinking like Busted. Were McFly at this time? Or... Oh my God, can you imagine Busted Avril Lavigne? <laughs> That's the one. one. That's the one. Avril Lavigne. There was none of that. I mean, I've kind of negated my point considering people will know what I'm talking about, about battle passes and celebrity cameos, but I don't think they'll know what an Avril Lavigne or Busted or McFly is. You know what? See, as we go away and look up a couple of more references, will we listen to some messages? Let's do it. So grab your parachutes and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome to Shatsunami a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Chatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. Join me, Slade, and my two co-hosts, Joey and Tim, 
over at the Video Game Club, where once every two weeks, we review a video game. Not too dissimilar to a book club. Podcast. You, you can... <laughs> You can find us at the Video Game Club on all good podcast uh, providers and some sketchy ones as well. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one track audio waves. But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. I really didn't know that person. Oh, sorry, my wife. So, <laughs> never gets old. Let's dive into this very iconic game and let's discuss the good, the bad, and, well, the DLC as well. Or, sorry, should I say the expansion pass? <laughs> oh my god, I've not heard that term in so long. Before DLCs and horse armor. <laughs> You know, cosmetic downloads before kids were borrowing their mum's credit cards or their dad's credit cards. Yeah, we had expansion packs, which I think they were probably the same price as the games themselves, if not a wee bit cheaper, but they were like fully fledged games in their own right. Like you can play them separately and still get a very good experience. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about the good, the bad and the downright united offensive (laughs) about these games. So before we go into it, Adam, would you like to give the lovely listeners at home a background about this game? Nothing would give me more pleasure. So if we're looking at the history of video games, rivalries have always been a thing. You're thinking FIFA Pro Evo, you're thinking Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, Sega. You can pick so many. However, there's one that I don't think always gets the most attention, but is quite important and is especially important for our story today. That's the conflict between EA and Activision. They have both been big players in the video game industry for a long time now at EA since the 90s Activision maybe even from the 80s I think and they both grew as the industry grew bigger until in the kind of early 2000s they were both significant players EA was probably the top dog out of the two obviously you know they had things like FIFA they had The Sims many other kind of popular franchises that were incredibly popular and this is before everybody turned against hating EA so they were very much at their heights one series that they had which was incredibly popular and is now I think has literally faded into the background. I don't think anybody ever mentions it now, but that was the Medal of Honor series, which was incredibly popular. Medal of what? Sorry? (laughs) That just makes me sad. (laughs) That makes me sad. Hey, you've been gone for a year. I've got a whole booklet of these jokes. I'm sure I've brought this up before in other episodes. I've just lamented how sad I am that the Medal of Honor series is gone. Well, it's not fully gone, in fairness. There was a game not that long ago, but it's nowhere near the heights that it once was, especially in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. But yeah, so Medal of Honor, for those who don't know, was a very popular series of games, first-person shooters set in World War II, and is actually a game which you could say is the one that popularized the whole World War II FPS genre, if we're being honest, back with its first release on the PlayStation 1. But it was a very popular series of games, and 
And what people might consider to be the height of the series was in 2002, when a game called Allied Assault was released on the PC. Very popular, took a lot of inspiration from World War II films at the time, particularly Saving Private Ryan. I think it's fair to say it's dated now, but I still quite enjoy it. I still think there's some fun to be had. I think you've played a bit, haven't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I actually remember when you and I were talking about episode ideas, and one of the ones that came up, of course, was because we're both COD fans and you are a Medal of Honor fan. I'm assuming you still are a Medal of Honor fan. Oh, I am. I still carry a torch for it. And yeah, I remember you recommending Allied Assault. I went away and played it. I can't remember if you bought me a copy or not, or I got it. I think you must have given me one. But yeah, I went away, I played it, and I was quite shocked, to be honest, at how good it was. The thing is, you have to play these games with a pinch of salt. The fact that gaming, and especially FPS games, have come such a long way compared to what they used to be. If you play your modern shooters, they're obviously not going to play the same as something that came out in 2003, but when you look at it through that perspective and contextually, it really holds up well, but there was a couple of gripes I had with it. Some bits I liked, some bits I didn't, and then when I moved on to COD, it was quite interesting to see the transition between them. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of it. If you played it at the time, you probably still have a good nostalgia for it, but I think it's a game that is probably more difficult to get into now. But I think there's still some fun to be had. But as I said, the Medal of Honor series was the top dog in this genre at the time. And so when Activision were looking for a way to kind of narrow the gap between themselves and EA, they knew they couldn't really compete in areas like the FIFA games or anything. But looking at it, they thought an area like the FPS genre is an area that we probably can compete with EA and we may even be able to overtake them. And so that's what they tried to do in 2003. So what Activision did in time old fashion was launch a good old raid of EA's talent. And in this case, they took about just over 20 developers who had worked on Allied Assault, part of a company that was called 2015 Incorporated, who'd been responsible for putting together Allied Assault, and who'd found it quite a grueling process and then been quite disillusioned when EA kind of took Medal of Honor license away from them. Activision brought them, brought these employees into the fold, and they formed a company called Infinity Ward, which... As I'm sure you know, the name probably sounds familiar to a lot of people. Never heard of them. <laughs> what though? A name that is synonymous with the Call of Duty franchise to this day. But yeah, so they came together and their aim was to take down the Medal of Honor series. And so they began to work on a project that they like to call Medal of Honor Killer. As we were talking about off-air, time-honored fashion of creating a game series with killer as the suffix <laughs> in the hope that you'll become top dog, which often doesn't work. But as history would prove, they were correct in their belief that they were going to kill off Medal of Honor. And quite swiftly, to be honest as well sadly it was quite a rapid demise but yeah so they began to work on World War 2 FPS shooter now interestingly they were going down a kind of very similar route to Medal of Honor but they decided to make some quite significant changes to it which kind of gave their game a kind of fresh identity and I tell you I think this is a good place to leave off because we can start talking a bit more about this as we get into the discussing the game itself you're completely right when you were just touching on the fact that there was a lot of games that dubbed themselves as the killer of X and Y and you think, oh great, okay, it's all this bravado and oh I'm going to be the best, but genuinely this game, we cannot overemphasize how significant it was, not only in terms of World War II shooters, because the gaming landscape, especially for FPS games, looked far, far different back then than it does now. 
nowadays because it wasn't until 2006 that Call of Duty actually transformed from being known as this World War II shooter game to an FPS game. Its whole identity was seeped, ironically enough, seeped in the mud of this World War II identity and then transformed into this global sensation with the Modern Warfare series with Black Ops, uh, even going back to World War II for a wee cheeky rendezvous behind the bike sheds and then came back out again and of course that one time they went to space and they never called them back again but we don't talk about that one do we Adam? Don't lie you secretly wish we could talk more about it. I actually do I'm not gonna lie it's probably advanced warfare that I'm thinking of. The one where he who should not be named appeared as a villain both in real life and the game but <laughs> him aside will we go into what makes this game so good looking back on it let's do it so the first thing i want to point out is the fact that it captures even back then the fact that it captures the atmosphere of war really well and something that i find quite interesting that kind of ties into this is the fact that for the first game and its expansion that they still use this health pack system so you know anyone playing call of duty nowadays you'll be used to getting shot and then you hide behind a cover and then you come back out and it's regenerative health. Yeah, back then it seemed more common to have health packs in these kind of shooter games. I mean, Doom had it, Medal of Honor had it, you know, all of these types of games, they had this kind of gameplay loop. But is that right in saying? Oh, you're completely right. It was the default health system for these games. The original Halo had kind of introduced that hybrid system where you had your recharging shield and then once that depleted, you then had your health bar like underneath that that laid the path for regenerating health as a dominant concept but it did take a little bit longer i think if i remember right the halo 2 had a completely regenerating health system and that was 2004 so you know one year after call of duty release but bar health or health packs whatever you want to say was the dominant system and I have to say, while it's a wee bit archaic in a way going back to that style of play, because I know some games nowadays use it, but it forces you to slow down. Even in easy mode, it forces you to slow down and take in the atmosphere, the environments, everything that's going around. I think personally from that, it does provide a very solid basis to develop from. I have to say right off the bat, and this is spoilers for what I think is probably bad about the game. I think there's areas that could have been improved on back then, but at the same time, I feel as if it provides a really solid basis to evolve into what it eventually became, like especially with COD 2. I could gush about that game for absolutely ages, but unfortunately COD 2 is not your day-to-day. It's your baby brothers, or sorry, your older brothers, so back in line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're only 18 this year. Is it actually only 18? Yeah, 2005. Wow. It can drink, though. Well, no, it can't in America. And neither oh, can this true. game. <laughs> but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it does capture the atmosphere of war? I think it does. And I think particularly in comparison to the other titans of the World War II genre, first-person shooter genre at this time, it does that a lot better. And this partly goes to the kind of direction that Infinity War decided to pursue when making Call of Duty. Medal of Honor was a series that was kind of defined by that almost like one-man army. Basically, in in the way that Wolfenstein 3D and Doom basically laid down the one-man army gunning through whatever enemy you happen to be fighting. So obviously, in this case, Nazi army. And that was the way you're on secret missions, you're behind enemy lines, you and just your massive arsenal to like, 
like take down the Nazi war machine and whatever dastardly plans they had. And that was the plot of Medal of Honor games. That was the same with the Wolfenstein games. That was very much the kind of set story. I'll say storyline loosely. None of these games had like very involved stories often. Some did in fairness, but that was the premise basically. And that was the original path that Call of Duty was going down as well. It was going down that one man army like secret spy type road. However, they decided to try and distinguish, Infinity Ward wanted to try and distinguish their game from what was on the market. And so they lent far more into a squad-based shooter. And in that way, they kind of brought a greater sense of realism, I think. And I say realism loosely, because again, this is a video game. It's a very cinematic video game. I'm not going to tell you this represents World War II particularly well, but I think it does a better job than other games of the time. And that exactly plays into what you're saying, that kind of atmosphere of the war. It's because you feel more like a regular soldier. You know, you usually have have squad mates with you whether that be just like one or two or you know in a lot of the soviet missions you can sometimes be fighting with like quite a sizable amount of fellow soldiers it allows for almost a sense of larger battles and you did get larger battles in other games but again it was like one versus 50 or whatever you know in that sense rather than you feeling like you're actually part of a wider sort of engagement which is obviously more true to what more it's more true to what war is generally to be honest so kind of going down that route i think really did help to set this game apart and also is a, is a big strength that i think still does remain obviously i think later games have done it better and later games have done the realism aspect of world war ii a lot better but i do think it's something that's admirable about this game still yeah because going back to something you were saying there about the one man army trope i have to admit i was really surprised when i played medal of honor because i thought when i was playing allied assault and you have that very famous scene of the american troops storming the beaches of normandy and such and it's like a very iconic moment which I have to admit, it's something I brought up to you at the time, that particular event isn't featured in this game. For all the collaboration that you do, that you feel as if you are a soldier within an army, they didn't include that. And I think it's something I think you brought up, that it's probably because they didn't want to, you know, release a game so close to the competitor and then say, oh yeah, we're copying this particular sequence, even though I don't think anybody probably would have minded someone retelling these events. But something I was really surprised that was at the very end was, as you said, you're a one-man army. Essentially, you're storming through French villages and things. You go into this base and you fire off mustard gas and everything. It's a really jarring one, I have to say. It's a very jarring ending. But you're completely right. For this one, there's a lot more camaraderie and there's a lot of influences as well. And I'll save this point for the kind of bad aspects, but you can definitely tell they're taking from other popular media at the time like for example Enemy at the Gates for the Soviet campaign Band of Brothers for the Americans and of course Faulty Towers for the British campaign for legal reasons that's a slight joke but I will get back onto that but going back to the gameplay itself one of the things that I was severely impressed by was just the way that the game almost guides you without overly stating it at times and I have to admit that caused me to run into some troubles in some of the levels but you know it's not just a case of you know nowadays you've got invisible walls you've got insta deaths and things and this one they have relatively realistic ones like they place their enemies so that you know oh I have to go this way because there's a room full of Nazi soldiers so I gotta gum my way through here or they keep you within the bounds with mines with barbed wire with fences and such I mean 
it's really well done in that regard. And I have to say it was very helpful in the Soviet campaign. These are corridor levels. This is not an open world by any stretch of the imagination. Like most first-person shooters were of this time, most were linear. Or if it was larger areas, it was still like corridors you were going down. So really, this game tries to disguise that in a way. As you say, it tries to put more natural obstacles in a way, whether, as you say, it be barbed wire or collapsed buildings, minefields. It gives it a, maybe a more realistic, maybe slightly less gamey sense. Again, it still is noticeable. You, you still probably will notice you're getting funneled down that roller coaster ride type thing. But again, I guess it depends on your feelings about that, whether you feel like you've played too much of that, whether you're just never a fan of that to begin with. I don't mind it that much. I mean, they definitely tried to cater for a cinematic experience this time because it can be quite difficult. And you and I, of course, have a lot of experience now as seasoned gamers where we've played games that you kind of think, oh, this is very narrative heavy or, oh, this is very gameplay heavy, but it's not so much narratively well structured. But they were certainly trying to strike for a balance here. They definitely were. We can put narrative in quotation marks. This isn't a narrative heavy game, as a lot of the early Call of Duties weren't. They were very much gameplay first. So, yeah, I would definitely agree on that one. One thing that I do think is a real strength of this game, though, and as again, it's another thing that helped to set it apart at the time, I think was a very good addition. It kind of set a little bit of a trend, I think especially for Call of Duty games still going forward, was widening the perspective of the war. What I mean by that is that in the original Call of Duty, you have three campaigns to play through. You know, you've got the American campaign, you've got a British campaign, you've got a Soviet campaign. Now, that was something new. Unless there's a game that I've either I don't know about or I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but all previous World War II games, they may have featured other characters from, you know, different nations. Like I know Return to Castle Wolfenstein, which was another big first person shooter of this time of 2001, had British characters there, but they were very much American focused. You were always playing as an American. You'd usually be in kind of American battles. Like obviously we talked about Allied Assault landing on Omaha Beach and things like that. But what was good about this one, it was another, obviously, I think when they were developing this game, they were looking for a way to appeal to a wider sort of European audience, not just an American audience. So that's why they made this decision to branch out and have these stories. And I really like that. I think it's really good. This was a world war. It affected so many countries like Europe, Asia, all around the world. Any chance that you get to get a wider perspective of the Second World War, I think is always good. That was one very positive addition. I think it's something that still deserves credit. Especially what you said about that alternate perspective, because this is a very double-edged point here. So apologies in advance. As I said, I'll expand when we talk about the bad aspects of this game but one of the highlights of this game in particular is definitely the Soviet campaign which I was actually really surprised at because the British one was okay. I've got my gripes with it. Yeah the Soviet one was surprisingly really good especially because as you said you weren't fighting as a single person you were fighting as a entire union but you were fighting as this united front to take down the Nazi war machine and of course you go through Stalingrad you go through other memorable battles we don't talk about the tanks yet but then of course you get to the ending which while I do think 
think it would have been satisfying at the time. I think it's actually ruined by future iterations of COD. So for anyone who doesn't know, the final level is essentially you storm the Reichstag as the Soviet Union. And, you know, there's that very famous scene where the Soviet soldier unfurls the Soviet Union flag, plants on top of the Reichstag, and that essentially signifies the end of the war in that respect. But see when you compare this to World at War, even though that's like a lot more over the top, like did you think that as well, going back to replay this? Oh, it doesn't compare. You're right. The end of this game has been ruined by the end of World at War. It just doesn't compare. It is a shame. It's not Call of Duty 1's fault. You know, it was the style at the time, but it has been ruined, unfortunately, by that. But still, I can appreciate the time. I remember enjoying the ending when I first played it back in the day, but you're right. It doesn't really stack up now. And before we move on to the bad aspects, there's one or two more things I want to highlight. One thing in terms of the gameplay in particular is the fact that you can actually aim down your sights, which I did not realise that was such a late feature in the FPS genre. Maybe the was one or two other games doing it but yeah i'm actually surprised medal of honor didn't do it first yeah it's one of these things we take for granted now it's funny isn't it i'm pretty sure this was the game that introduced iron sights now obviously games before had had sniper scopes and that was the usually the only weapon that you could do this with was a sniper rifle but i'm almost certain that this was the game that introduced iron sights as a concept which is something now that i don't think we could much was could imagine playing a first person shooter without iron sights although doom and doom 2016 and doom eternal didn't have iron sights it works for a certain type of shooter but for the type of shooter that call of duty was in 2003 and is still now. You couldn't have it without iron sights. Do you know one other thing that I, I'd be interested to get your opinion on? What did you think about, they call it the shell shock feature. It's that feature where basically your movement will slow and your vision kind of blurs and there's like the kind of ringing noise. Usually if like an explosion goes off close to you. That was another big thing this game, like I say pioneer, but it's only introduced. Did you like that at all? I did think it added to the experience. I definitely got flashbacks to the later iterations of code because I know they kept it for... I don't know if they kept it for all of them, but there's a good few. Like for Modern Warfare, the original one, they definitely kept it. And I think they do it when Captain Price says he's very iconic, we are leaving! And he pulls you out of the boat. But yeah, no, I really liked it. I did think that it added a lot to the game. I didn't appreciate it when they did it two times in a row because some bugger had like a Panzer Shrek and they kept firing it. I'm like, can they not? <laughs> it's like, I'm already shell-shocked, for God's sake. It's certainly is a double-edged sword in gameplay terms, but I agree with you. I like it as a sort of immersive feature. I think it, it does help and it, it kind of adds a sense of gravity. It's that sense that makes you feel more like a kind of ordinary person, an ordinary soldier, rather than the you know super soldier that you, you are in other games in this genre. Well, I'm just really glad you didn't see me playing it because I may or may not have blitzed through, you know, Frank Drebin and Police Squad. <laughs> that style you went for? Yeah, just kicked in the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sergeant Setsu, Allied Forces. Don't let me see you and friends again. And then I fall out the barn window and go, oh. 
as a spitfire just flies and the credits roll. Sorry, my fan fiction aside. The only other thing that I would mention before we go into the bad points is the characters were quite memorable. Maybe this is absolute heresy, but I don't really remember many characters from Medal of Honor. Maybe there was one or two, but as you said, for the most part, it was really focused on this, well, very much one-man army, as you said, whereas in this, they definitely tried to make more of an impression with the characters. You had your Captain Price, technically related to the Captain Price of the Modern Warfare fame, but this one came first. You had Sergeant Moody as well. You also had Jason Statham as... Sergeant Waters. Sergeant Waters, that's him, thank you. Yeah, he was an absolute beast in that. I just want to point that out, but I thought the characters were a lot more memorable in this one. I would definitely agree. I think it plays in nicely as well, because it was funny, I was thinking that because I was like, yeah, I remember the American characters, and I remember the British characters, and I was like, who are the Soviet ones again? There are a couple, but actually, I think it plays in well, because it is more this, like, mass army type thing. It's very communist in a way. <laughs> it's very much like you're part of the collective. Sorry, communism and the Soviet oh, Union? What? <laughs> what is this but I think like the soldiers you do meet it, I think it works well because there's two that you meet in the first two levels like, you, you remember the, the very first Soviet level where you're like trying to get up the riverbank you meet the guy who tells you to like basically run between cars while I draw machine gun fire while he snipes and then you meet another one in the next level who like right if we keep running forward here we're going to die if we run back we're going to die so let's try and find some way to get out of this so you kind of meet more rugged obviously more grizzled veterans which I think plays well into the story especially as you're playing as this like fresh faced recruit I think it's good so so I think it does characters well. Again, it's not a narrative game. There's no big arc for Sergeant Waters or Captain Foley or any of these people, but I think they play their parts well for what's required. Slight spoilers, and this is your last spoiler warning before we go into the bad side and yeah, discuss a lot of these particular characters, but yeah, what happened to Captain Price? I'm not going to lie, I was a bit underwhelmed. For anyone who doesn't know and are morbidly curious, there's a level where you have to sneak a board to this. I think it's like a cargo ship off the coast of Norway. It was one of the big German battleships of the war, the Tirpitz. And of course it's very sensationalised you know, as far as I could see, I don't think such a thing ever occurred or, you know, that obviously wasn't like a secret sabotage, as it were, of that variety, I want to say. Not that variety. No, and I've got to say, the sailors were far more formidable compared to the soldiers, I have to say. I got bodied a lot more when I was on that ship as opposed to fighting off the Germans in the middle of France. But yeah, there was a scene, I remember, I was just running through, and of course I was running and gunning, and I ran down the stairs, and I did the golden eye thing you know where you run down the stairs and you jump on the boat and then all of a sudden I think it's Sergeant Moody that's waiting for you although I could be wrong it could be someone else but whoever's waiting for you in the boat they're like oh where's Captain Price ah he's dead oh well he'll be remembered oh what a spiffing chap and blah 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 and I was like what he died really you weren't going to tell me (laughs) This is the one area where this game really stands out from what was to come. You can't imagine a character death being done that way in anything post Call of Duty 3. The games from then on basically made this massive deal about, and obviously character death became a huge thing in the, named character death I should say, became a huge thing in those games. Almost in a way I admire the understated blink and you'll miss, and you don't even see his death. You can hang about there, like in a gunfight that he's in, I don't think he'll die. I think it'll only happen once you move off to, you have to go plant 
bullets and explosives. And it's only when you come back that you can find his body there. But yep, I had the exact same reaction when I first did it. I went, wait, what? What happened? And then only playing it again, I was like, oh, there's his body. I was like, oh man, Captain Price, gone too soon. So what you're saying is you don't want to play a version of Modern Warfare 3 where it just cuts to a black background with white text that says Soap died on his way to the infirmary. I'd much rather play the end of Infinite Warfare where every single person has to have a drawn out death scene, no matter how ridiculous. And a recorded monologue. It was, I quite like that. I'll get off right, but I actually quite like the recorded monologue. I really don't like the whole sacrifice, but it's so overdone. And you know what? The recorded monologue, it'd be nice if we'd had a recorded, like, on the wireless message from Captain Price. It's like, take that, Jerry, or something. I don't know. Don't trust the Germans. They're crossing the Rhineland. And it just cuts out. Seeing that, no, speaking of the potential bad, will we go on to the worst of this game? Whatever good there is, there's also some bad. Got to deal with it. So I just want to kick things off and just talk briefly about the controls. And I do think that this is probably the least egregious thing about this game, but the controls are good for the time, but I feel as if, as I said, looking back on it from a contemporary perspective, it's not as good. You can't sprint. You know, you have to depend on the health packs and things, and, you know, I probably pissed off several people listening to this going, how dare you? You don't have to sprint to enjoy a game. Looking at you, Adam, for Halo. <laughs> I'd be interested, did you play this with a mouse and keyboard? I did indeed, yeah. It's an interesting point because what is it specifically about? Is it the lack of features in a way that you didn't like as much? So as you say, not being able to sprint and such, or is it the way like the controls are actually laid out? I wouldn't say the controls are bad. Genuinely, I feel as if the controls are quite good for the time, but there was a lot of really awkward things that, and again, it might be different if I was playing on a controller but I felt it was quite awkward switching between your guns because you had to use either the scroll wheel or the one two three and the same for grenades as well you had to switch out physically to your grenades whereas you know nowadays in college you press a different button and it just hurls a grenade and again it's not that the controls were bad I just think compared to what it's evolved into again using that term of it laid a solid foundation like I think it did but I feel as if it doesn't hold up as well but again it's by no means bad the grenade thing I think is definitely a fair point the grenade system feels clunky in this but I, I guess you know you can argue it's slightly more real but having to pull out a grenade physically and use it, it does feel clunkier than pressing G or whatever you might do in later ones and just throwing one. That is something that I think definitely was a good addition, was making that a quicker process for just helping the gameplay. It's an interesting point, and I see what you mean as well about switching weapons. You know, it maybe isn't always the fastest. I don't know, maybe it's just like, again, I tend to play more games on the console and stuff than I would on a PC, so I don't often, you know, use the mouse and keyboard for playing a first-person shooter, but for the ones that I have it kind of felt the same to me so I didn't really have major problems with it but it's, it's interesting and that's not to say like they're beyond reproach but it's just it's just interesting to hear different experiences with it and stuff and I definitely think you're completely right in the way of it is clunkier not having a sprint and the grenade system is clunkier one thing I do like is the ability to you know change your rate of fire that is something that's in a lot of more modern CODs but it's not something that you always see in the kind of World War 2 ones so it's actually I always thought that was quite a nice little feature another interesting thing about this was this was a game that obviously limited you to having just two primary weapons then obviously you had your sidearm which is a standard that the COD games have followed since then but it is different from a lot of previous games which would let you just pick up a whole arsenal of guns like what do you think about that as a concept do you prefer the two gun limit or do you like having like a full arsenal with you 
just carried around at all times. I felt as if it contributed to the and don't get me wrong, obviously, at least as far as I know, from a historical perspective, as far as I know, there wasn't British or American soldiers running around with that MP40 in one hand and a M1 Garant in the other hand and, you know, like dual wielding and everything. I mean, maybe they were, maybe they were, and we just didn't see it in the history books. But yeah, I thought it added to the realism. And again, when I say realism, I don't mean like, oh, it's realistic that someone's carrying two assault rifles, but I said M1 Garant and then, you know, I said assault rifle. I know it's not the same, but yeah, I, I feel as if it's that idea of encouraging you to scavenge, but not feel as if you're, again, this idea that you're a one-man army. You know, you're not the Doomslayer. You're not, is it Blaskowitz, the guy from yeah, <laughs> Wolfenstein? You're not him. You're not this super-powered hunk of beef that's, like, gunning everyone down. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, you kind of are. You've probably got a better chance in this army than half of the NPCs that are following you, but, yeah, I actually didn't mind it, I have to say. I didn't feel as if it detracted at all, although I have to admit, sometimes what I will say is I felt some of the weapons were a little bit underpowered, especially the MP40 and some of the guns like that. I felt as if unless you hit people in the right spots then they kind of just got back up again as if, oh, why did you shoot me? It's a funny thing with these games, but I think the MP40 is one that's always interesting. I feel in some games it's incredibly overpowered, while as you say in other ones it's like basically not much better than like a pea shooter, so that's always interesting. I have to correct you on one thing. It's nothing about what you just said about the, the two weapons system but it's not doom slayer it's the doom slayer oh yes <laughs> <laughs> one minor point of correction there but i agree with you like there's some games that have a two weapon limit which i don't like and i don't think works in it bioshock infinite is the primary example for me on that one but i think a two weapon limit actually works well for these type of games for your call of duties you know and games that are going for a slightly more quote-unquote realistic experience i think it makes sense and i think it works better i don't think you need to be carrying around everything you know it's handy don't get me wrong sometimes it's handy when tank pops around the corner and you can just pull out your bazooka that you've carried with you this whole time but I mean, there's, there's also a fun in being like oh crap where's the crate of Panzerfaust gotta run around now and find it so I think it works well in this game I, I would agree with you but going off of that point and talking about the gameplay one of the things that although I credited it for using its environment really well there's one particular thing and I'm quite curious to hear what you have to say about this but there were a couple of design choices that I really object well not objected to but had a lot of reservations for one of them being the overuse of liminal spaces and what I mean by that is there's a lot of levels where you're of course playing with the Soviet Union you're playing as this united front trying to push back the war machine and everything and there's levels where it's like there's not really anything in these empty spaces and I know that's kind of a weird thing to complain about to be like well obviously there's nothing there it's a ruined city it's a city that's been bombed by the nazis what are you expecting but usually in games they have a health pack maybe a hidden weapon maybe an easter egg anything something but there's a lot of areas you go into and there's just nothing there and you're just kind of standing around and again i think the scope of it at the time would have been amazing i feel as if if you played this for the first time and 
2003, you would have been blown away by the absolute scale of this game, but I don't know. I feel as if it's quite a glaring problem, at least in terms of looking at it nowadays. Because as you said, this is very much a corridor shooter, you know, it leads you down the path and says, go here, do this objective, do that objective. But then, yeah, when you get levels like that, it just feels a bit bloated, I would say. I'd agree. And the Call of Duty series has, I think, produced some really standout environments, like Chernobyl from Call of Duty 4 is the one I always think of. There's nothing really like that in here, in the original game. This isn't a game, unless I've missed it over these 20 years, this isn't a game for environmental storytelling by any means. It is glorified corridors, and you're right, there is a lot of quite boring, empty space that I don't think, and again, it's not a game that's designed you to spend a lot of time in these environments, preferably. It wants to keep pushing you forward, you're progressing through, because they're not that exciting spaces to fight in and everything. What it's trying to draw you in is the kind of action and, you know, the intensity of the gameplay and the firefights themselves rather than the environments that you're in. But it is a fair criticism of this game. The Call of Duty series would do a lot better and it would develop past these kind of quite simplistic levels. Don't get me wrong, that's not just limited to the Soviets. If you go back to, I think it's the second level of the American campaign, you're fighting through the streets of France and you go through all the houses and things. Some of them are ruined, some of them are all right. And on the one hand, it is quite cool to fight through these settings because you don't really get that as much nowadays in terms of these very unique set pieces but then again you go to some corners and it's just like a hollow house and you're like what was nobody here even before the bombings was nobody living was this just like a propaganda village you know like where they just prop up shells of houses but nobody inside how the Germans faces must have been red when they came through that town and they were like wait there's nothing here it is an excellent point one thing I think is interesting which I think actually in one sense is a positive but I think another is a negative is that some of these environments are actually it goes back to the actual sense of being realistic and being based off historical locations so the first two British levels take place during the night before D-Day when American and British paratroopers were dropped in to secure the flanks of the invasion and you play as the British paratroopers landing at what was called Pegasus Bridge which was this canal bridge which actually happened on D-Day and that environment is actually quite realistically modelled like I've been to the actual Pegasus Bridge and it's pretty close to how like the bridge looks and the actual layout of the location and that's one thing I think is done really well. I think it's the same with one of the middle Soviet levels. You go to a place called Pavlov's House, which was a famous sort of battlefield location in Stalingrad, this kind of big apartment block that was ferociously fought over. I think that's supposed to be quite realistically modelled. However, it doesn't work in other places in the American campaign early on. You also play as an American paratrooper during D-Day. You land in the village of St. Meriglise, which was an important location the American paratroopers had to try and capture on that night. And St. Meriglise is famous for having a very big... I say church, I don't think it's quite a cathedral, but it's a pretty big church. Like, it's quite an imposing one. And compared to the church that's actually in the game, it's quite laughable, to be honest. It's this tiny little thing they pop into the level. Nothing at all like the actual scale of the actual church itself in real life. And quite famously, an American paratrooper gets caught on the spires as he's coming down and he gets stuck up there for ages until they can get him down. And they try to recreate that. But again, you have an American paratrooper just hanging a couple feet off the ground on this quite tiny spire. So it's something that, I, again, it I guess it depends on 
how interested you are in the actual history and stuff but it's something that if you're just in it is quite laughable so it, it works well in some ways but not as well in other senses that extends to other levels of course where as you said they're trying to recreate these historical set pieces and again i'm saying this from the perspective of someone who's played games for most of his life in 2023 obviously 20 years on from when this game came out so maybe there was technical limitations for what they could and couldn't do or maybe there was time constraints i know time constraints for a call of duty game imagine adam imagine they apparently did only have a year to make this activision were setting a trend quite early on start strong keep it going but yeah there seems to be quite a few things that fester from this you might think oh what's the issue with all of this unused space and everything but when they have certain spaces as a set piece then it starts to become a problem and one issue and apologies this may going into sensitive territory here is when you have to rescue i think it's british soldiers but i could be wrong you have to rescue some soldiers in the prisoner of war camp and i feel as if it is completely undermined purely because it's empty other than the german soldiers and the enemies that pop out to shoot you it's just empty and obviously i'm not saying oh i expected back then for them to have prisoners writhing in pain or tied up or whatever you know i'm not expecting them to have had that level of detail but it just seems weird that they made a level so expansive and huge just to not really do anything with it does that make sense doesn't feel like a real location exactly because you're like why is this giant camp with one prisoner in it and like 200 german soldiers why are they all guarding this one person luckily you can kind of blast that level quite quickly you only have like a 10 minute time limit on that level anyway so they obviously don't want you to hang about in there but you're completely right it's the worst example of that in this game it is a real shame and again you know we can say time constraints we can say resources they're all fair points but i do think they would have found a better way to do that maybe it's nitpicky from the two of us but I, I would agree with you on that so here's a point that i noted down when i was playing through this game and i'm actually really curious to hear what you think of this because it's something i mentioned earlier about this game copying other popular media at the time for example as i said with the Soviet campaign, they copied Enemy at the Gates with the American campaign, Band of Brothers, and I kind of half-joked and said about, you know, the British campaign being faulty towers, so it's probably closer to a lower low, to be honest, because it kind of leads into something else that I got really annoyed at, but so before I go on to that particular point, yeah, how did you feel about this? Because when I was reading up on it, a lot of historians were very peeved, and that is me being as nice as possible here, when they copied things from Enemy at the Gates especially, because there apparently is a scene where a lot of the Red Army troops try to flee, and then they get shot in the back, but of course they tried to translate that into this game, and historians of course argued, saying they were really save that more for penal legions that if it's a prisoner who doesn't want to be there then that's probably why they were there to shoot them to keep them in line but in terms of the standard red army soldier they weren't you know going to waste bullets and they weren't going to try and shoot their own men so how do you feel about that with this game for a game that is trying to not only be like a medal of honor killer but to try and assume a more realistic narrative i mean it hampers the realism to a point i get it though it's not the first video 
video game to have copied other media. It won't be the last. It is a prevalent trend. And I get it. You do want to cash in. I mean, that's what Allied Assault did. Allied Assault completely cashed in, in the on the Saving Private Ryan Omaha Beach landing scene. It's what happens in any kind of entertainment medium. You're going to copy what other reference points and what's popular because, you know, there's a reason it's popular and everything. So I get it. It is true that it obviously does harm the realism at points and everything. I'm not an expert historian on the Second World War, so people will be able to point out bigger inaccuracies maybe than I can see. But for me, I think a lot of what they're copying doesn't really harm it that much for me. I mean, Band of Brothers is based off history. It's based off a historical book, based off actual, like an actual squad, you know, actual group of soldiers from World War II. So, and they're obviously copying, they're copying scenes from that. And obviously they've made those scenes slightly more Hollywoodish, more action-packed, but it's a game. It's a first-person shooter game. It's what you expect. And Enemy at the Gates lent itself quite well to being copied because it obviously put the Hollywood spin on the Battle of Stalingrad. So it makes sense to me, but like, it, it's a fair point. Anytime these things happen, it tends to harm the realism, but it's not a huge issue for me, if I'm perfectly honest. I like a lot of these set pieces. I think a lot of them are done quite well. So, you know, I, I don't really mind that they borrowed, quote-unquote, liberally from other sources. Yeah, because I suppose that is the danger, isn't it? When you're trying to tell a relatively interesting story, but especially back then, if you're trying to tell an interesting story, but you also have to balance that with exciting gameplay so you want to feel like you're part of the battle and if you've got a commissar breathing down your neck saying you better get out there or I'm going to shoot you in the face you know that's going to spur you on to be like okay let me charge at them but yeah I I wouldn't say it's probably in terms of a video game I wouldn't say it's the most egregious fault of it but I can see why people take objection to it I can see why people think oh it's probably not the best and it's a poor representation of the war but again if you're running around devouring health packs like Tic Tacs then yeah this isn't the most historically accurate source that you're going to be quoting on your (laughs) essay for history class. There's one particular point as well that I want to bring up and it's something that I was talking to you about. Do you remember this when I was telling you about my gripes with the British campaign? I do remember. I thought you raised some excellent points. I thought it was a truly great conversation that we had on that. So for anybody who has played Call of Duty who's listening right now, I want you to play a little game for a second. Think about the amount of times that you've seen the British army or any kind of British armed forces in a Call of Duty game. And by that, I don't mean the SAS and I don't mean any secret forces I don't mean any forces that have come together in like a small barbershop quartet to you know take out the Nazis from behind the front lines there is shockingly a real weird issue with Call of Duty where and I've kind of dubbed it informally as the bond effect basically the fact that the British are always categorised in these particular games as somewhat super spies. Like, you know, you meet Captain Price and then he goes on these missions with Sergeant Moody and then they they take out the Germans their own way in terms of like a small ragtag group and everything and oh they're always the underdogs. And I think bar the second game because I played COD 2 directly after this one and COD 2 I absolutely love. I love with a passion. It's a great, great game 
game that I feel as if has probably held up better than this one. But beyond that, if you even think of games like the Modern Warfare series, you know, you've got Price, Soap, Ghost as well. You know, they're part of Task Force 141. They are part of the British Army, but they're not part of like a bigger armed forces. Whereas for the Americans, you always get the best of both worlds. You always get the super spy, can-do attitude that they're going to take everyone down by themselves, but then they're also a unified unit. And what I found interesting as well is that the Soviets have probably the opposite problem, where they're never categorised, ironically enough, considering the Cold War happened, but yeah, they're never shown to be special forces or a small group. The Soviet Union are this somewhat big, massive collective that did very well, let's just say, in repelling the German army at the time. But it's weird to see because, by all means, there was this small thing in history, and I don't know if you remember it, Adam, it was this small thing called the British Empire. You know, do do you remember it? I think I've heard about it. I think I've seen a couple of plaque and statues. Yeah, maybe, you know, you might have heard it in passing. (laughs) But the point is, at the time of the war, there's a whole historical case, which we probably are about to dive into, so get your notepads out, because this will probably help you in your history class. But the British at the time of the war were probably underprepared at the very, very beginning because of the fallout of World War One, And, you know, there's the whole argument about appeasement and not stopping the Germans sooner. There's a whole debate about that. But the point is that for some reason, and there is this almost weird, I don't even know if you could say it's like an American bias, that this game is made by American developers, it's very much heavily influenced by the way Americans view other countries, like they view the Soviets as, as I said, this big collective who rush at the front lines compared to these plucky go-getters when the British army was very formidable in the war, obviously not at the beginning of the war, we have a little thing called Dunkirk to back that up with but did you ever notice that though Adam like see before I brought that up to you did you ever notice that it's something I noticed certainly in World War 2 games but I didn't actually think about it more broadly until you'd actually brought it up thinking about the COD series here but you can apply it to other things I thought more broadly about the COD series and I thought God you're right like it always appears to be the SAS or Special Forces if British soldiers are ever brought in COD 2 is the exception here and I think the only exception to this one it, it, all, it is all cultural perceptions like that that is what this is all based of whether we're talking about the soviets or whether we're talking about the british or the americans or whatever we're operating in these cultural perceptions that exist and that were there at the time and that exist can need to exist now in terms of that i think the defining thing about britain's war is often the small scale like spy stuff and special operations and, and things like that are the things that we're often remembered for more than what our regular armed forces did it's partly generated by other countries perceptions of us but it's also also partly self-generated and it was at the time you know we built up this whole image of the plucky little island defying the vast nazi war machine which does not tell the whole story by any stretch like it is actually misleading in a lot of ways it is what it is it's a legacy that has endured and it is a shame if you look at call of duty one and if you look at the three campaigns they almost act as like a kind of pyramid so if we look at like the soviet one the soviet campaign you generally tend to be part of larger units you might feel like you're in bigger battles there's more soldiers around it's on a bigger scale then if we move to the americans you're often you're usually operating you're still in a squad but it's probably slightly smaller you no 
though the engagements are maybe more like squad versus squad type things, you know, but you'd always do have soldiers around you. And that comes from playing as paratroopers, which tended to be smaller units than your regular kind of army. But then if we go to the British, the British are right at the top and the British on campaign, unfortunately, falls into that one man army trope that Infinity War had tried to fight against, you know, and tried to go in a different direction. The British campaign kind of shows that they still did play into that. And, you know, there are examples where you do fight. It's like the first two levels you're fighting. It's more akin to the American levels. You know, you're fighting in like a squad and slightly bigger engagements. But after that, you tend to generally only have one or maybe two fellow soldiers with you. And it is all special operations type of stuff. It's a shame. I think we can say the British campaign is the weakest of the three. It's the shortest of the three. I think it's the weakest. I think it has the weakest levels. I don't think it has as many high points as the other two. It's a shame. But you're completely right in that this set a trend for the series the COD series as a whole in how the British were going to be portrayed to an extent yeah because I was joking with you that it reminds me of and for anyone who's studied the first and second world war in school you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here but there was a particular image especially for the first world war where Germany had invaded France and they were going to invade France through Belgium that was the Schlieffen plan wasn't it that is correct thank goodness I got the right war okay step one correct yeah there's this very famous political cartoon where it's this young boy stopping like this older grumpier man trying to get through a gate and at the time the wee boy was obviously supposed to represent Belgium this small plucky country standing up to the aggression of like this old man this old empire and everything trying to brute force his way through and again that is kind of the way that Britain have been portrayed in this and don't get me wrong there's also other media you know to back this up Call of Duty wasn't the first game or source of media to make us into you know this small plucky island and everything I think the example that I gave you Adam was you know when you get these billionaires who pretend that they pulled up their bootstraps and everything and you know you find out that they say in an interview that they got a small modest loan of like a million pounds or something and you're like well hold on a second (laughs) you got a bit of a leg up here but yeah I wouldn't say that affects the game it's definitely as you said it's definitely the weakest campaign but I don't think it's probably something that would drag it down but I do agree I do think that whenever I had to play the British missions I kept rolling my eyes thinking oh god and I felt as if I preferred the Soviet missions except for one yeah that of course was the tank mission which the tanks were made of airsats there's a wee cheeky history joke for you in there but they don't know their airsats from their tanks yeah oh that was a horrific mission and that's something that carried on to United Offensive slightly skipping ahead where just all the vehicles are just so squishy you get shot a handful of times and then that's it in one way it's historically accurate to soviet tank production if you can look through the frustration you can maybe appreciate history would you say that was a low point for you the, the two tank missions absolutely 100 percent. because here's the thing it wasn't fun i can excuse it if it was like tricky or difficult but it just, it was not fun to play through. And it's one of these things where it's like you have German soldiers popping out of windows, popping out of rubble, they were shooting the Panzerschrecks at you, they were blowing your treads off, and you know there was just, maybe it's because I rushed it, maybe it was just that but it was just, it was very frustrating it was very annoying and I felt as if I was playing on easy mode because I'm a filthy casual, but the reason I do play on easy mode as well is because I do like to experience the 
story and I do like to see how far I can push myself in terms of the gameplay and even in easy mode easy mode was still as unforgiving I would say as some of the harder modes but even on easy mode the soldiers you fought against they were easy to mow down and everything bar if you had an MP40 but in the tanks no I would agree that it was just it was such a low point but did you think that as well when you went back to revisit this game? I think vehicle sections have been done a lot better since in other Call of Duty games maybe it's just because I've played them quite a few times now that I kind of know I can roughly remember what's going to happen so it makes it easier to be honest that is a prerequisite I think for the second tank mission I think you have to you have to play that a few times because you have to know where things are coming out of you have to know where Panzer Faust soldiers are going to spawn you have to know where tanks are going to show up because almost a blind playthrough you're probably going to die quite a few times because a lot of things are going to pop out and you're just going to get absolutely hammered before you have a chance to pick out where your targets are so I think it's definitely is a prerequisite for that second level is some built-in knowledge I think the first one's slightly better you know it's more open terrain you've got more tanks with you so you can always just hide behind them use them as shields so I don't mind it as much I prefer the tank mission in United Offensive the expansion pack to the two that are in the base game and I think they were done a lot better I think Call of Duty 2 really elevated that style of tank level and then I would probably say as well like vehicle sections have probably been done better mostly I don't know I really did not enjoy the flying mission from Vanguard though I might hate that more than I hate these tank missions in this game although it's probably it it is like a fight at the bottom there but I can totally understand the frustration of those levels because they are hard they're hard and they are unforgiving in a lot of ways and especially that second one you have to know where things are coming out of to really have a chance I mean to be fair it's done wonders for my Russian learning but other than that yeah Is this the one where they have phrases? Is it the second? Maybe it's United Defensive where they have phrases in it when you get hit with stuff. Is there any, like, tank banter in the first one? Maybe there isn't. No, there's just the guy that keeps yelling, We're hit! We're hit! We're hit! Oh. Yeah, and uh, all of that. It's like you're looking down at and going, Listen, your shouting's not helping me, okay? I'm very stressed in this working environment. Can we just simmer down? Like, put on the tea maker. And of course, he's saying, This isn't a British tank. And you're like, Oh, no. This is the worst tank of the war. There'll be a bottle of vodka hidden somewhere. Oh, probably. Aye, inside the... I was about to call it the shoot. The cannon, even. <laughs> the shoot. The slide. The curly whirly. The helter-skelter, that's it. Only the finest history here. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible history stopped answering my calls about five years ago, so this is all I have. <laughs> this is all I have, people. Before I go on to my final points that didn't really hold up in this game, is there anything else you want to point out here? It is dated, and it is a dated game in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think it's as dated as Allied Assault or Return to Castle Wolfenstein, although I think those two games are good in their own rights for different reasons. This feels like a more modern game. You know, you can argue for good or for bad. It really, again, depends on your preference. I feel this is an easier game to go back to, even if you haven't played it before because I think it retains a lot of the DNA that's in the kind of current Call of Duties and your modern shooters you can find in here. I think this is a lot of genesis for that so for that reason I think it is an easier one to play but you know it, it does have its shortcomings there's, there's no doubt. I have heavy nostalgia for this game. I didn't play it on release but I played it not long after, one year after 
it was released. I played it on like a crappy laptop where if you were outside in outside environments, the frame rate would chug <laughs> like crazy. So you think the tank levels are bad, then try playing it when your frame rate is going at like five frames a second. It wasn't a fun experience, but I still loved this game. I enjoyed it at the time. I still enjoy it now. It's probably Call of Duty I play the least, just because I say I tend to play on console. And there is a console port of this game. It's not very good. I'm going to be honest. I would recommend playing it on your pc you know and it still has a following it certainly did have a big modding community for a while i think it still has a fairly active modding community you know this was a time where activision would release the game code so people could make mods and stuff so that kind of gave the game life as well and made people love it more there's some questionable mods i'm not gonna lie because you tend to find them over two games unfortunately but there are some actually really good ones as well i played actually a really good dunkirk campaign one was based off united defensive so yeah it's had a life post its release and i still think it's good and i still think it's an important game and i would say worth checking out it might just not be your thing and maybe it might just feel too dated for you but that's fair no i completely agree with you there are definitely dated aspects of this game as i said with the gameplay with the difficulty curve with some of the choices of the game there is one thing that i forgot to mention and it's a very weird issue i had or not weird but just very bizarre so i think it's the mission where you're trying to rescue it's Captain Price in the Chateau House. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, so I was running through trying to find the dear old captain and his plucky sidekick, and I took a wrong turn, and I went into this room, like this bedroom, and I kid you not, there was a swastika on the bed itself. You know, it was like as if someone had wrapped their bed sheets in a Nazi flag and then put it on the bed, and I just, I sat there and I kept thinking, was this a thing the Nazis did? <laughs> Or, you know, have they got like a catalogue of that era themed bedspreads or things? I think the word I used to you, Adam, was gauche. <laughs> it's very distasteful, even for them. I was like, did they really need to like say that there are Nazis in the streets and in the sheets? Or what is going on here? Gauche is the word for it. But I could believe the Goebbels had this home decor. That wouldn't surprise me. What I find actually funnier is how it's something that I've, I don't know why, I just never, I ne- it's something I ever noticed, like, or I just saw it. I didn't pay attention to and I'm like how have I never just stopped to consider that I was criticizing this game for not having any environmental storytelling I mean that's some serious environmental storytelling if you ask me what's going on here what's going on in the chateau I can believe the secret communications room behind the fireplace last crusade style but I don't know what's going on with these bedspreads yeah because genuinely if there's any historians out there who know the answer to this question please for the love of God reach out to us chatsanami.com we've got a lovely contact form please fill out and let us know if this is actually a thing because I was baffled I don't know whether it's just they didn't have a texture for the bed so they just put the same texture as that or they really wanted you to know that this was taken over by the Nazis but I was like I mean considering they kept shooting me octopusy style you know coming down the staircase (laughs) and everything I was like yeah I kind of get it and obviously in the big grand foyer but you had the nazi flags and i was like yeah there is an issue here <laughs> there's a big issue with this house i mean obviously than the fact it's been conquered by them but yeah yeah really strange but see despite that jokes aside despite that despite maybe some of the sound design issues one thing 
with a quickly touch on there, just how sometimes during firefights, a lot of the effects kind of overlap, at least on the PC port, they overlap in one another. And on the one hand, you can think that's a realistic firefight. You're surrounded by bullets and so on and so forth. But on the other hand, I don't know. I feel as if it was a bit too much going on. But despite his flaws, despite everything we said there, and despite, of course, the accents of some characters, such as the stuffy Londoners First War accent, you know, with Captain Price saying like, oh, jolly good show, tip-top biffing show. Americans, eh? No, you yanks, oh. Yeah, it's definitely American. That's all I'll say. It's definitely American. And a slight nitpick here, but I hate the fact that they use the American measurement for judging floors. So what I mean by that is when we're on the bottom floor of a building, we call it the ground floor, but Americans call it the first floor, and then they call it like the second floor, third floor, etc. But we obviously go ground, one, two, three. The amount of times I was confused when a Soviet soldier yelled, he's on the first floor. I'll look up and he's actually not where he should be. I'll look up at the second floor, but he's on the first oh it was just it was a nightmare. You're like, oh at least I'm safe here on the ground floor. Oh no! American units! <laughs> that was not a good time. But other than that, as you said, I just want to co-sign what you said. It is such an iconic game. It is a game that paved the way for what Call of Duty is now. And it is just such an impactful experience. So if you haven't played this game, again, I wouldn't say it's the best code experience you're ever going to get, but definitely go check it out. You're not going to regret it either way to see how far COD has come from, you know, its humble beginnings, as it were, as the Medal of Honor killer to practically killing itself with, I don't know, cat ear DLC (laughs) and Warzone. You know what's wrong with it. Take a good long look in the mirror, but see before we finish up, there is one particular thing that we should probably touch on, and that of course is the expansion. Just going through it briefly what were your thoughts on this what did you like what did you dislike about united offensive i really like united offensive i think it's an excellent extra chunk of content there's not really anything massively different with this if you like the base game if you like cod one you're probably going to like united offensive you know it's more of the same except you can sprint for a nanosecond in a very pointless feature i really like it i really like the structure i really like the american campaign probably my favorite out of the three actually in that one i really like again it's very heavily band of brothers inspired but i really enjoy it it's the only soviet campaign that doesn't take place in stalingrad so it instantly gets props from me for that and I, again I, I feel the british campaign is the weakest again unfortunately but I, I like it it takes you to some different places We've got a first flying level in there which is kind of fun kind of cool i generally like i had a lot of fun if i'm playing the base game i will always go on and play united defensive afterwards because i think it's a nice postscript it's more of what i like from the base game with just a few few extra bells and whistles so i would give it a thumbs up i totally agree with you there I was actually surprised at how in-depth this actually was, especially for things like the environments. For example, is it Novia? The American ones. Yeah. Like the very first level where you run away in the Jeep and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The Bois Jacques. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) 
<laughs> and yeah, I thought the environments were a lot better. They were a lot more focused and kind of brought in. It wasn't just asset dumping things everywhere. I liked the flying mission. I thought that was a nice touch. Granted, I wish they could have made things a wee bit clearer. I was running like a headless chicken trying to find the fire extinguisher and I was getting yelled at by the British pilot where he was like, I say, we're on fire, chap. Get the fire extinguisher. And I'm like, I'm trying. Tell me when it is. Did you feel the same with that one? It gets you good at your clock face as well. Like, three o'clock. You're like, oh, which one's three o'clock again? My three or your three? <laughs> Luckily, they have a handy little dot compass in the bottom to help you with that one. Also, our first inclusion of a Scottish soldier as well, although it's very much a blink if you'll miss it. Tailgunner Angus, gone too soon. R.I.P. He's an having drink in the general robotic right now. It does have some of my favourite lines, though, at the beginning, where they're sounding off like different people around the plane, and it's like, ball turret, and it's like, bloody uncomfortable. <laughs> I believe he's sitting cross-legged, sir, hoping not to get them shot off. It's just it's like very typical British banter. It's eye-rolling, but it also makes me laugh. After that, it's like a nice wee bit of home. <laughs> it is. But I do agree. I think one of the strengths of this game as well is the fact that you get to see other sides of the war that up until this point in gaming you probably wouldn't have been able to see. I was really surprised that you got to join the resistance group in the Netherlands. I was really surprised at that when I saw it and I was like, what am I doing in the Netherlands? This is really cool. You know, you went to Sicily as well with, again, British secret forces on a COVID mission and you're like oh right okay it's back it's more or less much of the same as the rest of the game and one of the other things I really love to have to say was the fact that they didn't shy away as well from the brutality of the war like I'm pretty sure in one of the Soviet missions this was the one with the trenches wasn't it yeah it's the one that one was amazing it was either that one or it was another one later on where I straight up just saw people either get gunned down in front of me or just get flamethrowed in front of me and it was just so brutal and visceral it just it did such a great job in capturing that aspect of the war 100% agree yeah that's the one where you like turn around a corner and some poor Soviets are just getting set on fire by this like German with a flamethrower you can maybe see the DNA of World at War here a studio called Grey Matters who made the uh, sorry Grey Matter who made the expansion pack and I can't remember if they became part of Treyarch or something I, I get lost with what happens with game studios I'll be honest where which ones get absorbed into what ones and which ones form other ones but I think you can definitely see a little bit of that in this game. Now I don't want to end on a negative here but I'm going to bring up a pretty damn big negative here. I think personally and I would love to hear what you have to say about this Adam but I genuinely think that although this expansion does a lot better in a lot of regards like in terms of the gameplay, in terms of the way it's presented the runtime of this is just so bloated. At the very start of the game. I think it's the Battle of the Bulge, isn't it? Yes. And let me tell you, it was one big bulge, let me tell you. Because it went on for absolutely ages. It just it kept going on and on. Another example, when you're defending the chateau, it took way too long, personally, for me. And I got really ticked off because at the very end, I got to the end of the level and, you know, there was a big celebration of, oh, yay, the reinforcements are here and everything. Yeah, I ran in the house thinking, oh, great, the mission's over. To which, of course, I 
Nazi soldier was waiting for me and shot me in the face. So then I had to do that whole thing all over again from kind of the midpoint. But yeah, my goodwill at that point just completely ran dry. Unfortunately, as much as I love the American campaign, it ends on its worst level. I really love the three levels before. I kind of feel like the trope of defending a point as the last thing is quite overdone in games. And in fairness, maybe in 2000, I think this was 2004, United Defensive came out. So perhaps 2004, it's probably wrong to say it was an overused trope, but it's something that I feel like I've seen so many places now. Like we could probably list chapter and verse the Call of Duty campaigns that end with you defending something as a big point. That's how the American campaign in World at War ends. Call of Duty 3 ends on that. I suppose Call of Duty 4 to an extent is you making a heroic last stand. You know, it's quite an overused trope, I feel like. So it's a little bit like, oh god, I have to stand here and defend this again for a while. It can be fun, but it's not always the most fun gameplay, I think. But I mean, I think the most egregious thing is they do it twice. They do it with the Americans at the beginning, and then the British campaign ends with, as I said, this terrible on-the-rails kind of shooter where you're in a PT boat and you have to fight off against other PT boats, but it's made of the same stuff as the Soviet tanks from the base game, so whenever you get shot, you your health just completely disappears. I don't know where it went to, but it's certainly not on my screen. But then you get to the Soviet ending where you have to hold the line at, I think, a train station. It's a good point that it's used twice and I'd actually forgotten. Yeah, that really annoyed me because I thought it was going to be cool and try and use like the AA gun and everything to take out the Stukas. But yeah, that got old very quickly when I kept dying. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to hide under this truck. I'm going to suck all the fun and drama out of this scene. Let's see how you like it. Sometimes you've got to survive, you can't thrive. But I mean, on that note as well, the difficulty was, personally for me, I think it was severely ramped up too high. Especially if you came from Call of Duty 1 and then you go into United Defensive, it is almost like night and day about how difficult it is. Even on easy mode, even on regular mode, it is so difficult. Although one thing I have to admit I did appreciate was the fact they carried the throwing the grenades at your feet whenever you didn't move onto later games. I mean, there was actually a scene, I think in Call of Duty 2 maybe, where I was hiding as one of the British soldiers and all of a sudden I basically got a halo ring of the grenade indicators and I was like wow, this is terrible. I gotta run. It's it is quite a rough game and I have to say they really do love ending on the old Soviet ending don't they? The Soviet portrayal in World War 2 has become more complicated in large part due to recent events but but also because it, it is a complicated thing in fairness you know, whether you want to view it as like the lesser of two evils on that front you know with, with some justification but it did feel like these games built towards that I think I'm just thinking about most of the World War 2 CODs now that like have a Soviet campaign most of them tend to end with the Soviets Call of Duty 2 doesn't well, I suppose Vanguard technically does end, but that's weird in that one. It's kind of hard to like think of that one. But yeah, they always did seem to kind of like to ramp up. And I guess it's because of the scale thing again. These tended to be like the big battles and the big engagement. United Defensive is full of that. There are sections in the original Call of Duty where you are on your own as a Soviet soldier, like especially in the sewer level and things like that. 
but you don't get any of that in United Defensive, from what I remember. You're always like surrounded by other soldiers, and it's always quite big battles, quite epic ones in a lot of ways as well. And it's a fair point you raise about the difficulty, and that was a trend of video games at this time. The people who were buying an expansion pack were obviously like fans of the original game, so the, the assumption was these were more skilled players. So, you know, you wanted to raise the challenge for them. You know, we can trace that right back to like the Japanese version of Mario 2, and maybe even before in history of games. So it, it was a trend, it is noticeable. So, there are some really hard sections of United Offensive. I think the thing that annoys me about it more is just, and again it's with any hard game, even if you look at something like Dark Souls, Elden Ring, any of the Souls games, where if you keep dying, it just it doesn't become fun. It just becomes repetitive and you have to learn from that granted, but yeah it's not always the best, but I mean I can understand it's like a product of its time. It's a different kind of fun, and again, different people find different things fun. There's no right or wrong on it some people like the idea of overcoming a challenge there's fun in that while for other people the kind of repetition and the grind isn't fun and again it's personal taste there's no right or wrong it's just it was a feature of gaming at this point you know and especially of expansion packs the only other thing i would say is this is probably the second call of duty game or probably the first to do it with gratuitous chicken killing and i've got this on my notes i kid you not where you're running from the germans in sicily in a jeep and that is the level, isn't it? Where you just you crash into like this crate of chickens. Yeah, not just one. Like there's a lot. It's actually a bit of the game I don't like. It's the part I really don't like. There's there's something about it. Maybe I'm a big softy at heart. Apparently, I don't mind all the human death in the game, but I'm like, oh, I don't like seeing all these chickens get crushed. There's something about it I, I don't like. But then they also started the trend of. Which, in fact, I say the trend. I think I think this, this trend swiftly ended after Call of Duty. But it used to have the thing at the end where you have like a line being like, "Oh, no animals were harmed. No cows were harmed in this." film because there was always a proliferation of dead cows and sometimes horses around a lot of these levels. Because the only other game in the Call of Duty series I can think that they did that was the favela level in Modern Warfare 2. The original, of course. You got an achievement for that, didn't you? I think so, aye. Kentucky Fried Chicken, probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are elements to dislike about this one, both the expansion pack and the original base game, but at the end of the day, as I said, it is an influential game that I do think that Call of Duty fans should check out at least once in their life. I don't think you're going to like it 100%. Like, if you're more used to the modern iterations and you go back into this and you have to go cold turkey with no auto-regeneration in your health and things like that, then you're not maybe going to enjoy it but even just for academic purposes to see how far the franchise has come I would definitely recommend it but before we wrap up is there any final words you want to say for this? It's actually funny you using that phrase cold turkey I actually think that's actually quite an apt phrase for this this is a much more simple experience than like a lot of later CODs and I actually think part of the reason I like it it does almost feel like if you are maybe like overgorged on all the features that modern Call of Duties offer this can actually be quite a nice experience to just play and it's stripped right back to basically the fundamentals there's not much fat on this bone to be honest it is a very paired back experience which i think adds to it you're completely right as well from a, like an academic purpose as well like it, it is interesting to see like how far the series has come in 20 years but also to see that the dna is there we've talked obviously about the cinematic moments in this game and that's a feature of call of duty you know it, it's cinematic nature is something that is not lost at all it's just built upon in the following 20 years just in its way 
way of retaining that kind of squad-based focus. You know, that has been something that's been in most of the games. Often, usually there is like a proliferation of nationalities as well. It's all there. And obviously, we mentioned the two-gun limit, you know, iron sights, all these things are still there. The fundamentals are all still there and they were built in 2003. That's why I do like this game. I think it's interesting and I do think it's an important game. It was heavily praised at the time. It won a lot. I think it's maybe one of the colleges has won the most Game of the Year awards, you know, because it was an absolute sensation back in 2003. There's a reason this series became so popular and Call of Duty 4 has a large part to play in that. So just things like Black Ops, Modern Warfare 2, you know, but the original Call of Duty has a big part to play in this series becoming the juggernaut that it eventually did and the fact that it has raised Activision to the roof to the point that I think they must have surpassed EA they did their goals they killed off Medal of Honor in short order and Activision were raised to the heights of the video game landscape it's an incredibly important game and whether you think it's for good or for bad you can't deny that I think it's still worth checking out again maybe it won't jive with you and that's fine I can understand it but I do think it's still a good game I think it's a really good game you can have fun with it and it's usually quite cheap usually it's on sale a lot of the time so I don't think there's many reasons to not pick it up just don't get the console port is what I'd recommend because it's not very good get the PC version and yeah I think that is the perfect place to leave it off thank you Adam so much for joining me on is it right to say COD's 20th birthday yeah it's his 20th birthday is that a weird way that we'd maybe want to say 20th anniversary but I think technically that would be 2024 will be its 20th anniversary because the way things work but it's 20th birthday definitely so you know I think we can finish off by you know for he's a jolly good fellow for he's a jolly good fellow jolly good fellow let's go off to stalingrad and buy your dlc <laughs> buy your dlc <laughs> ah modern cod please change for the love of god please change i don't want to see stalin in cat years that's my red line no pun intended for the love of god i don't want to see that pack <laughs> Oh, and on that frightening note, thank you again, Adam. Honestly, it was a blast getting you back on. Thank you for getting me back on for this. A lot of fun for me to replay this game and a good excuse to boot it back up again. As always, if you want to listen to more episodes featuring ourselves as well as our other fantastic co-host, you can check us out on our website, chatsandami.com, as well as all good podcast apps. I also want to give a huge shout out to our Pandalorian patrons, Robotic Battle Toaster and Sonia. Thank you so so much for supporting the channel and if you would like access to exclusive content then please feel free to check out our patreon page patreon.com forward slash chats where you can get early access episodes you can get exclusive episodes you can get juicy behind the scenes you can get live footage of adam milking an oddish you know it's absolutely great it's it's fantastic <laughs> for legal reasons that last bit's a joke unless you really want it i mean i mean we'll, we'll be in talks we'll be in talks <laughs> What is it the kids use nowadays? Only auditions. <laughs> oh, and on that horrifying note, do you want to wrap up the episode? I would say cruelty free, but the auditions might disagree. But on that note, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. <laughs>